Support for Food Friday Leftovers comes from Berkshire Co-op Market, Great Barrington, Massachusetts, a community-owned natural grocery store dedicated to sustainable agriculture, the local economy, and the environment. Working within the community to better Berkshire County, one basket at a time. Berkshire.coop. Welcome to Food Friday Leftovers, a podcast about all the goodies left over from Food Friday. I'm Dave Hopper. And I'm Ashley Kinsey. Tune in each week as we cover culinary topics such as food trucks, local food, pizza, veggies, beer, and wine. You hungry yet? Huh, I'm always hungry. Well, on that note, Ashley, tell us what's in the fridge this week. This week, we've got smoked shrimp in the fridge. We are talking with Jasper Alexander and Byron Nielsen. They both joined us on previous episodes of Food Friday Leftovers. Jasper Alexander is chef at Hattie's Restaurant, Saratoga Springs, and Byron Nielsen is an educator at... <sighs> I'm actually... I haven't. I, I had been teaching at different. You were teaching drummer. at different drummers, and I but, knew but, that. But, my brain was like, Woo! but I haven't done that for a while because I've got this um, back problem that. Um, okay. Standing. Uh, How would you like me to introduce you? I'm uh, writing about food for the alt. I used to review restaurants for Metroland magazine for way too many years, and now I'm tacking a, a few more years onto that with uh, doing some of that for the alt. Um, I am raising bees and uh, uh, growing tomatoes. Any bees so that's for you? A noble, noble, noble process in in uh, the Northeast tomatoes. Yeah. Exercise and, and frustration. Oh, yeah, but <laughs> even better, I grow San Marzanos. Oh, wow! So uh, and and I'm doing well with them. That's Be- good. Better than with the bees. Oh, <laughs> poor things. Uh oh. What is about that um, type of tomato that you like? Oh, it's it's a plum tomato that's very fleshy and and you know good size and makes the best tomato sauce. Yeah, that's what pretty much all the really high end canned tomatoes that you that you see are San Marzano. Huh, interesting. I'm big into tomato sauce, so I'll have to check that oh, out. Oh, they'll, they'll make a difference. Yeah. They're good. I've had them just, I can eat them like you would eat a piece of fruit. It is a piece of fruit. It is a piece of fruit, <laughs> but okay, you're right, you're right. It is a piece of fruit. That was a dumb thing to say, but like the, I usually the... would not eat them like that. Right. And then I like the, the really small cocktail tomatoes. My daughter and I call them ketchup tomatoes. I don't know why. But she came up with that name, so we just started calling them ketchup tomatoes. I went to school in, in Walla Walla, Washington, and uh, they uh, they make a they grow an onion there called the Walla Walla Sweet, which is a Vidalia onion, but a particularly sweet offshoot of the Vidalia onion, and and you literally can eat them like an apple. I mean, you have to like onion, but but <laughs> but it's not just such as it's this really sweet onion that when you know eaten fresh, you know, within a few days of coming out of the ground is. Is you know not so strong that you can't eat it like an apple. Does it do with the eye watering, or is it none of the that? Eye watering thing is a that's hit or miss. I mean, you know, uh, we could talk all day about the theories of how to dispel. The only thing I've ever known to, to take care of the eye the eye watering thing is is to have a, a breeze in front of you or something that keeps the the fumes and the vapors from going right up into your eyes. And chop fast. Then chop fast, or yeah. have someone else do it. Yeah. <laughs> There's that. So I had a question about. Um, timing, because I know that when you start to grill or barbecue anything, you have to get everything going first, get the grill going first and get it nice and warm before you just throw some meat or veggies or whatever on it. Um, Do you think that everything can kind of start at the same time, like let the thing heat up for 20 or 30 minutes and then you can cook anything? Or do you have to have different timing for different things that you're trying to grill? I'm a charcoal aficionado. So um, the nice thing about a, a charcoal grill is generally you can bank it. So you can create a, you know, different 
temperatures in different spots there. I mean, it's not going to be vastly divergent, but enough so that you can sort of pace things a bit. So um, that only marginally answers your question, but that's all I'm going to give you right now. <laughs> I think you need to. I mean, you need to have, give give it some thought. I mean, you can't. You know, if you've got a you know, half an inch thick, you know, New York, inch thick New York strip, you can't throw your asparagus on first. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's you know, but, I mean, just use your common sense and, and, you know, depending on the grill, I mean, with charcoal, you really have to know more what you're doing because there's a little bit more finesse to, to using wood as opposed to turning a knob on your gas grill. Um, like Byron mentioned, there's ways to adjust the heat, but you have to be a little bit more well-versed in the technique before you can get to that level. That's a sort of mid-level Jedi kind of a thing. <laughs> well, I, I also, I think I could recommend something I like to do, which is you determine the heat level by, you know, placing your hand over it and see how long it takes for your you know, hand to, to burn. So I wait till my hand burns and I go have my spouse do the cooking. <laughs> <laughs> so you have kitchen hands by now, or grill hands, yeah, actually. Yeah. Okay. I have a question. I have a gas grill and the temperature is like out of control. Like if I have it closed and I have at least three of the burners on, not even all four, it's like a, at least the thermometer says it's over 600, like 700. Yeah. So should I just cook with it open or it should I just kind of open it? I mean, I mean, I have a gas grill at home. I love cooking with charcoal, but I have a time issue uh, as in I have none. <laughs> and so, so for me, as much as I love, and my dad was a master of his Weber, you know, I mean, truly. And, and so, you know, and I had his Weber for, I mean, I think I only put it out to pasture a few years ago. So it was like 40 years old. I mean, it was, it had, had a lot of good mojo to it, but I don't have the time to deal with charcoal on the, on a day in, and I would like to grill far more than I want to deal with the charcoal grill. But I have a, you know, pretty good sized grill that will also get up to that seven, 800 degrees. I'm pretty much a, unless it's a, uh, a meat that requires you to cook it at a slower speed, like ribs or, or pork butt or what things we were talking about today on the on the show, uh, I cook it on full blast. I mean, I'm a okay. full throttle kind of guy. So, <laughs> um, uh, you know, you just got to watch it yeah, you know, and make sure that you're not burning. And I want to second what Jasper's saying because, and, and confess that I, too, have a gas grill. <laughs> because there are those times when you They're just you mean, want to get the thing cooked. Oh, Ray might not I mean, let you no, guys I mean, back I on. I have now. one of my – one of our <laughs> – our employee, she's a, got a great uh, palate, and she's really good with food, and she has one of those big green eggs, and uh, she loves it, loves it, and she smokes, and she, I mean, she's really, and she cures her own bacon, and she goes deep with it, uh, and that's a really nice, you know, I wouldn't call it a midway step, because the whole big green egg, it has a ceramic lining to it, so the whole ceramic heats up and then radiates heat back into it, so it gives you a lot more time, but but again, you know, charcoal is great if you've got the interest and the time. If you don't, gas is works just fine. I mean, you know, in no way is gas going to impart better flavor than a charcoal, never, ever. It's, you know, it's a time factor. Yeah. And I have a six-month-old, so I have the same problem. Yeah. <laughs> we need dinner done as soon as we can. I have a question about cleaning the grill, and um, my dad calls it flavor, with all the stuff that's left on there. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the, I don't know, obviously most people don't have their grills clean, spotless after every time they use it so is there like a amount of stuff you can leave on there or do you actually scrape all everything off each time or do you just leave it for a while with a gas grill i mean that's where that high temperature comes into play again i would just let it you know i turn it off you know after i'm cooking i turn it off because many times i've i'm like oh i'm gonna let the grill burn off a little bit and then of course i forget and i go out (laughs) the next morning i'm like oh look at that i left the grill on all night and uh, now i'm out of gas perfect um but the next time you start up your grill fire all those burners up 
and let them let the thing get it. It's, let it go for 15, 20 minutes and get let it get as hot as it can possibly get. And most of that stuff will burn right off. And then yeah. and then you can scrape it off. And that's that's the way I would do it. But with your smoking, I mean, there is some something to be said for the patina of the smoker. So. You know, you could let it let some of that accumulate, but but at a certain point, you know, on your gas grill, if you got open flame, you got to be worried about all that stuff eventually igniting because it is all layers of fat and crust and stuff. Yeah, the flare-ups can get out of control. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but you can you can definitely just burn it all off. Okay. I was looking online at different sort of hacks, and somebody (laughs) tried to. They said if you cut an onion in half and rub the onion on the grill before you. Before you start to grill, <laughs> it will uh, help. The, it'll keep the meat from sticking. So, is that? Have you ever heard of that? And I feel like I'm. I'm not. I'm not sure if I can trust that. I never knew that onion had nonstick properties. Yeah, that sounds like nonsense to me. Yeah, <laughs> it's that, been I, debunked. No, yeah, well, yeah, well, I. Don't I, think so. I used to write for computer magazines. And uh, I would review products. And at one point, we went through this phase where there had to be uh, five pros and five cons, and there had to be uh, shortcuts. And so we made stuff up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that sounds, yeah, that sounds like nonsense to me. Who's going to try it? (laughs) I am not going to try it. Not (laughs) me. I'm going to let that one go. If I'm going to grill the onion, it's going to be so I can eat it. Oh, uh, grilled onions. I love them. (laughs) I've never grilled an onion before. Oh, they're great. Especially red onions are great. Yeah, you can get a you know get a nice vegetable medley going. Get some peppers and uh, eggplant. We've definitely done that with asparagus. Especially, it's my favorite. Yeah, grilled red onion is is one of my favorite things. It's really really good. Well, I'll definitely be trying that this summer. It's good on anything or by itself, like vegetable medley or Mm -hmm. on a burger. My daughter's coming home for the weekend, the Memorial Day weekend. That. probably has passed when you hear this. <laughs> and uh, she's bringing three college friends, all vegetarians. Oh, boy. So we will be grilling vegetables. We will be grilling vegetables this weekend. So part of the charcoal grill all weekend will be reserved for vegetables. For vegetables, right. Do you have that planned out in your head? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's this whole meal structure thing going on that I've figured out. Now, is your daughter a vegetarian? Or no. no? Okay. She's flirted with it, but then yeah. I think, like me, uh, I, I start to think about that, and then I have a lamb chop, and it's all over. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my wife into steak uh-huh. recently. That's good. And then all of a sudden, she likes it more rare than I do. <laughs> so oh, how go. did you do that? Because I, oh, I fight the well-done battle at home constantly. Yeah, I don't know what happened. That's a tough one. Oh, That's a tough one. <laughs> it's a tough piece of steak, too. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Quite literally. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you two steak knives. You can, you can. I, I worked for a very a vocal chef. That's where I learned to swear. <laughs> but, you know, when an order would come in for a well-done steak, he would just pound the counter and look up at the ceiling and shout, why, why, why am I in this business? Yeah, many chefs do that. I, I do not. I, I think, you know, for me, it's, you know, it's the customer's dinner so if they if they want it that way i mean i it's the hospitality business i am there for you if you want me to overcook your steak i will happily do it uh you know would i would i would i eat it myself no but if that's the way you like it that is the way you shall have it that's the way it should be you're a very generous uh well i just think i mean you know uh, chefs are often sort of uh stereotyped as being huffy and puffy probably not undeservedly so in many cases i mean i've worked for some lunatics as well but (laughs) but i think it's important for restaurateurs
listeners to to remember and chefs to remember that we are in the hospitality business and that is the business of giving people what they want and remember that they're coming in and paying and right. and and it's our job to provide hospitality in a good time in any way that we can and that not leads stand me to way. another question though like you said you would prefer um, I forget what it was something on the you would prefer ribs or something like different than your customers want them well not yeah not I mean it's not necessarily different but I think I think all chefs uh, to a degree have to or at least I think they should keep in mind that that there is your own personal likes and dislikes and then there is what makes sense in in the you know commerce of your restaurant and I think uh, that being said you've got to sort of listen to the feedback of your people and you know there's lots of restaurants that you know, do very, very well sort of digging their heels in the ground and saying, you know, this is what we are and we shall not deviate from our path. And, and there's a lot of shuttered restaurants along that <laughs> along those lines, too. And it, it really just it's about striking a balance between, you know, what you uh, you know, there's certainly things that I will not do, you know, uh, but uh, the list is pretty short. And, and if I'm being paid for such services to provide that, then the list is even shorter because that's the nature of our relationship. If I'm the restaurateur and you are the client, you know, yeah. So what foods are you snobby about, both of you? Hmm. I'd like to think I, I bring a degree of snobbery to practically <laughs> everything I do. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, but, you know, you will find me at the open-air hamburger joint having a grand old mm-hmm. time. Absolutely. Me too. I was, I've got a... Uh, uh, something that might take me towards Rotterdam in a couple of days, and I'm actually sort of thinking that that a swing past jumping jacks, jumping jacks. Is, is, <laughs> yes. is in order. My my I, daughter danced in Schenectady for many years, and so I would get the opportunity to go down to jumping jacks on a fairly regular basis. But I haven't been in about two or three years, and I'm, I think I'm due a jack. Why here. are they so good? It's well, the food <laughs> isn't is that it? great. Yeah, no, it's but, it's, but the, uh, what but, is it that makes them so? It's like it's a cult following. Thing. Yeah, it's just the yeah, it's the whole it's that intangible of. of the totality standing in line and you know and the whole the whole nine yards you know and the whole little jack speak you know right. they, subway you know, thank yeah you. exactly where they have their whole little spiel that they give I you. mean think about it a McDonald's opened across the street from there some years ago and it's now gone <laughs> now it doesn't happen very often <laughs> no I've never been there oh the jumping jacks yeah oh you gotta go get a jack burger and a shake you know yep. maybe a clam roll sounds yeah. good to me so good and you're just gonna say everything or do you have a specific food oh I, I have to think i mean i just i try not to to think i've got the true and only way to prepare or you know enjoy something uh but that does creep up on me <laughs> fortunately you know, having a adult child uh means i'm challenged a lot <laughs> absolutely my I, i've still got my children are 17 and 11 and the 17 year old is just coming around to starting to eat real food but the and the the 11 year old is is in the effort to sort of keep up with the Joneses is making some good, honest efforts, but falls back <laughs> under the chicken fingers pretty fast and hard. But, and I, you know, when they, they were young, I mean, I made their baby food. I mean, I went so, so deep into it. I tried to do everything and I'm exposing them to all these things and just, you know, you know, still my daughter and I have a running, a running argument that she's like, I don't like fish and I love fish and I love to cook fish. It's probably one of my favorite things to actually cook myself personally. Just, you know, what, what do I as a chef like to cook? And fish is, is pretty high up on the list. And she's like, well, I don't like fish. I'm like, you've never even really had fish. All the fish <laughs> I put in front of you, you sort of lick it and then you put it in the say you don't like it. And I'm like, so let's, let's keep it real here. When, when you actually see you actually chew a substantial mouthful of fish, then, then we can have the argument, you know? Yeah, that gets a little old. The uh, I don't like that. I'm like, come on, <laughs> you know. But I will keep striving. Do you make them try something if they say, well, I don't like it. If they look at something and say, I don't want to eat that. 
do you say, well, can you at least take a bite of it and try? Yeah, it? I mean, to, to a point, I'm not. I'm not willing to have a family feud over it. I mean, I, <laughs> I like I like a peaceful house, so you know, I'm not a I'm not an ogre when it comes to that. And we've my wife and I both, and my wife does. You know, I probably do more cooking at home, but she definitely cooks as well. I'd rather know up front that I'm cooking two or three different things than get it, you know, once dinner's on the table and I they're like, oh, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, you know, let me put on a pot of water for pasta then, you know. That's always the go-to. Uh, when I was uh, four, we lived in Cincinnati, Ohio, and there was a TV kid show host called Skipper Riley, and he had Skipper Riley's Clean Plate Club. <laughs> when you finished your plate, you could, you know, somehow you'd become a member, and, and this I did. So I blame my weight problem <laughs> on Skipper Riley's Clean Plate Club. Seems fair. <laughs> so I decided at least with my own child, I'm not going to force her to finish stuff or yeah. for that mm -hmm. matter, even eat it. I mean, knowing that a kid's tastes are going to change and yeah, change. Absolutely. And yeah. we did the same. We made baby food for her so she'd yeah. get different flavors. But my policy was taste it. If you don't like it, you don't have to eat it. But maybe in a year or two, we'll circle around back to this right. and, and right. be open-minded and try it again. Yeah. We did that recently with my six-month-old. He, <laughs> we gave him sweet potato for the first time. Luckily, we got a video of his face. Yeah, yeah, the face is yeah. great. But yeah. now, <laughs> now he'll do it. Yeah. We'll do it. It's not as not as good up there as bananas and apples yet. Right, but. right. Uh, I wish I had been able to do that when my daughter turned one. We had a birthday party, at which she had her first taste of ice cream. <laughs> And she got religion there. I mean, yeah. that, that expression yeah. on her face, oh, where like, have you been? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why haven't I been eating this from the beginning? Yeah. <laughs> My daughter, when we went down for vacation in South Carolina, we went to a seafood buffet, which some people are like, oh, seafood buffet. But we just wanted to go get something to eat. It was right there across the street. And we just said, oh, we'll go there. And they had crawfish. She's like, mom, they have baby lobsters. And yeah. I'm like, we want to try one? And she's like, what am I supposed to do with it? Are they supposed to eat it? So I was showing her, you know, you have to twist and pin, you know, oh, yeah. to pull. And she enjoyed that. And I was so, oh, that's great. I was, I was shocked because she's seen a lobster sitting on a plate and we've gone out to dinner a couple of times when she was before this. And she would look at it and be like, no, I can't. I don't even want to look at it. Turn the, turning the plate over. She wouldn't want to have it that's staring progress. at her. And I said, <laughs> Start and small. then. That was my little bit of, of religion, as you call it, because I was like, she's going to be a seafood person. I love seafood. <laughs> and, and interactive food is fun. Definitely. That is true. Definitely. And crawfish are, just, crawfish are just fun, period. We have 500 pounds of them that just got flown in today, so... Nice. Got lots of crawfish. So how did they get stuck in Memphis, like you mentioned on the... Well, they, they, come, they come out of Louisiana, and, and, and they, they go straight from the crawfish farm, which is a series of ponds and bogs, and... Mm -hmm. and they go right to the airport. They put them in big styrofoam boxes with gel packs in them, and they send them right up. But uh, one of my nine boxes got stuck in Memphis. Have you so, seen what it looks like there? Memphis is the big hub. Yeah. No, and they've I've got these. Been there. They've got these conveyors that crisscross and oh, stuff with yeah. barcodes, and it's all automatically yeah, read. Yeah, crazy. I, oh, what's wow. amazing is that stuff actually gets where it's yeah, supposed it gets, to go. gets through Memphis. And I love I love Memphis. It's a great town. Have you ever uh, done Memphis in May? I have done Memphis in January. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been, done Memphis in May. I've been hankering. To, I mean, that's when they have the big barbecue cook-offs Oh, stuff. sure, sure, sure. No, I haven't. But uh, I ate lots of good barbecue when I was in Memphis. Mm. So you guys have kept us entertained for the whole time, but do you have any funny stories to end us on? Funny stories on demand? <laughs> <laughs> We're funny all the time. You're cruel. You want a funny barbecue story? 
I can sure. tell you that about the time when I first got a smoker, I had been smoking stuff over a charcoal grill with wood chips and so on and getting frustrated. So finally I got one with an offset box and um, got a fire going in the box. I, first, I start with charcoal and then I put wood on that and then burned that round of wood down, put another round of wood on it so I can, you know, pack it for a few hours and got it to that point and it was just smoking like a, like a Vesuvius. It was beautiful. And the fire department came. Uh. <laughs> a neighbor, you know, had, had, I suppose, justifiably concluded that there was some kind of conflagration going on there. Oof. But I live in a very small town, so I knew the, the fire people. Did and, they stay and eat? Well, of course, it was going to be many hours later. I invited them back. and uh, but So now I think the upshot of it is... If my house ever does catch on fire, I'm really going to have to persuade them to come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's just, that's just Byron smoking again. Don't worry yeah. about that. Yeah. Well, there'll be food, so come on over. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a, a somewhat similar story, but we were we had a restaurant in Seattle that was a, a global concept, and we did sort of food from all over the world, and, and but we tried to stay very uh, indigenous to that cuisine, so we weren't, like, mixing cultures and things like that. So we would have a, you know, a... a sort of a Peking style, you know, you know, duck, but we'd also did pizzas and things like that. So we had, the kitchen was split up. It was a huge restaurant. It was 300 and some odd seats. And the line, the cooking line was about 80 feet long. And in the middle of the line separating one side from the other was this eight foot uh, wood burning oven. And on that whole side, we had nothing but wood burning equipment. And me being a little bit of a vibrato back then, uh, uh, we, I decided that I didn't want gas on that side of the kitchen at all. I said, this is going to be purely wood-fired, no gas, no gas starters, no cheating, no nothing. We're going to be purists about this. And so I had these two beautiful, uh, the brand was Ajax, but these two beautiful Ajax grills that were these deep pocket grills, and one had a rotisserie on it, and the pizza oven was was uh, now a big company, but then was a very small company, and uh, no gas starter in there. And so we had had our sort of trial runs at the restaurant. This is pre-opening, and uh, you know where you invite all their family and friends, and you know the, the four hundred people came to this thing. We just got crushed, and it was ugly. And then we took a day off, and then we reopened to the public. And you know we'd been testing so much in the oven that I'd forgotten to really. It's never occurred to me that I had to get the oven back on and get a wood burning in there to get the oven back up to temperature because the pizza oven needs to be at like you know six seven hundred degrees eight hundred degrees and it was like at two and this is like three hours before we open and i'm like oh my god what am i gonna do and uh so i decided that you know you build in a pizza oven you know you've got your opening if that's at six o'clock then you build your fire kind of at 10 or maybe at two you because you don't want the fire the heat to come right back out the front so I was like, okay, I got this bright idea. I'm going to build a fire at 10 and 2, and they're going to come swirling and cross each other, and it's going to heat up really fast. And my only really concern was that because the stone was still relatively new, and it takes you know sometimes six months to a year for these stones to cure and, and get used to the heat, I was worried that I might crack the stove, but it wasn't my money, so I was a little <laughs> I, I was I was I was I was a little a little cavalier with that, but I. Uh, Built these two fires, and it, the temperature's just skyrocketing up. I'm patting myself in the back thinking that this was a brilliant idea. And, uh, then I heard the sound that no chef wants to hear, which is the pop of the Ansel system going off. And fortunately, uh, which is usually just a horrendous mess, like a restaurant-closing mess. I mean, especially in this, this is all open kitchen. So the diners, we had a huge dining bar that was within six feet of this oven. So, I mean, there would have been foam everywhere, and uh, I would have been at risk of losing my job for sure. But fortunately, the Ansel 
people that come and charge the system and check the system never charge the system. So I heard the pop of all the springs going and then waited for the just the mess to ensue. And all I got was drip, 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 drip out of the Anzo system. And so not only did the oven get up to temperature in time, but I didn't save the rest of it. And I could even pawn it off as like, well, I found out, you know, good thing this happened. Because now, we, because now, we know, now we know that the Anzo system wasn't charged. We better give them a call in the morning, you know. So it was. <laughs> I so. remember having something like that happen. Uh, we had just had a new system put in, and um, shrimp bisque was the soup of the day. And somebody pushed it to the back burner on the six top, and it was right underneath one of the sensors. It had, I don't know how they adjusted it, but the heat from that was just enough to set it off, and it was one of those dry chemicals. Oh, God, those are the worst. So, it, I mean, it wasn't even the chemical itself. It was the fact that it shot directly into the yeah, shrimp bisque yeah. and threw soup all over <laughs> yeah. it. Oh, no. And those powder ones, too. I mean, that's, you know, the foam ones are bad, but the powder ones, and I've never seen a powder, I have seen a foam one go off. I've never seen a powder one go off. Uh, but the powder ones, which have been discontinued years ago, I mean, I mean, the mess would no, no. I mean, it would be everywhere. I mean, you'd have to shut down for days because it would take you days to clean everything. I mean, it just oh, went. It's like it was like you know taking a talc bomb and just blowing it up in the middle <laughs> of the room. I mean, it just goes everywhere. All right. Well, thank you for those stories. We appreciate it. Thank Not you. No problem. That was Jasper Alexander of Hattie's Restaurant in Saratoga and Byron Nilsson, food writer for the Alt Magazine. This has been Food Friday Leftovers. I'm Ashley Kinsey, and I'm Dave Hopper. Be sure to check out Vox Pop Food Friday every Friday at 2 p.m. on WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Our producer is Jessica Blaustein-Marshall. Our theme is Beach Disco by Dougie Wood. Food Friday Leftovers is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. And tune in next week to see what else we find in the fridge.